0: You're listening to, achten, millwall.
1: Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Huge welcome back to another edition of Acton Millwall. We are turning out the podcast like a machine here at the moment, and I want to welcome back one of my uh, my, my, my lead men on the on this on this podcast extravaganza, Mister. Neil Fisler, Thank you for coming back on the show, Neil.
2: You have an absolutely no problem at all, Nick. Great to be with you again.
1: And this was a good idea. This is actually a suggestion by Neil, listeners, which was uh, we, we touched on this the other, the other week when we spoke, Neil. Um, in wartime, the First World War and the Second World War, of football clubs using guest players. They, they had, a, they had um, kind of reduced competitions in both World Wars, didn't they? Uh, first and second. And many, many clubs, Millwall included, um, often recruited or had made available players for other clubs who are in the services playing locally effectively.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we could, yeah, well, a player could actually be registered with one club and was permitted to play with for another club within a reasonable distance, providing the parent club obviously gave them... Permission, yeah, but it's the only way that some clubs could field teams. Yeah, the likes of Aldershot that were near army bases, they fielded whole squads of star players and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean they must have been quite um quite well placed Aldershot, they? And I dare say Plymouth and, and the naval bases, Portsmouth and and, and so on. Um, you know, for that reason that they've possibly got a lot of star players in their service working locally um or, or, or on, on, on duty locally.
2: Quite a lot of players that are obviously based in and around London. So so well obviously the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, the bigger clubs snapped up a lot of the star players.
1: Yeah.
2: And the likes of Millwall and that were left to fend for themselves. Get
1: the crumbs that fell from the rich clubs' table, as that's always been the way of Millwall FC ever since, um, well, ever since Victorian times, I think. But there we are. Um, so, just to set the scene for listeners, um, the First World War began in August 1914, and this is something I've always found quite strange, Neil. I don't know, um, I don't know how you how you uh, feel, but the professional football continued um, after the declaration of war. Initially, um, 1914-15 season was played to a conclusion with league champions and an FA Cup final. It was a very strange idea when you look back at it now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well I guess they Yeah, well, I guess that they didn't have bombs falling and whatever else in this country, but but well I would have thought that players would have been called up and taken away and yeah you know, I'm surprised yeah. that yeah whole sites, yeah like Orients they provided hell of a lot of players, hell of a lot killed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Early part of the First World War, it was a volunteer army. Um, as war was declared, it was still the pre-war, quite small British army. It wasn't wasn't of any great size. We were much more of a, a naval power in those, those far-off times now. Um, war was declared in August 1914, and as you say rightly, Neil, many, many clubs, Millwall included, um, players joined up. There was a huge wave of volunteering in the early part of, of the First World War um and I, I did find a reference in the um the james murray book lines of the south how um the mill squad uh, the fc joined the Nun, nunhead shooting club which would be in Nun, nunhead locally
2: yeah.
1: and some of the younger unmarried members of the first team enlisted uh, and the names i've got here which um you may you may recognize yourselves listeners is bill voise um sullivan i don't have a first name for sullivan um wood and leach all members of the first team um, joined up and Leach became the first uh, mill player to be injured by shrapnel in one of the early exchanges in France. Um, it's quite something really. Now. I mean, I know many other clubs did the same. I believe, um, and you mentioned Orient, I believe in uh, Scotland Hearts, uh, their the, the entire squad joined up, volunteered for the front. Um, quite, a, quite a wave of patriotism in that early part of the war.
2: Yeah, well, I think yeah, well, a lot of them joined the Middlesex Regiments. Yeah, that were that were actually, I think it was Major Buckley, wasn't it? it was something to do with them?
1: Was it, that the Footballers' Battalion? They yeah. formed a Footballers' Battalion.
2: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. many, um, many, many, many players would join up. Many would see action, and many, many would perish um, in the, in those great battles of, of, of the early part of the First World War. Um, the DEN, like many other football clubs, became a match day recruitment centre for to um, encourage young men to join up. Um, and I found a a program reference, which well, actually is an advert. Met, men, of Millwall don't be left behind. Um, you know, join the army. Um, and there was a, a great reference in the in the program notes, which I'll quote. Uh, now, then, you young lads looking on uh, to sort of the football, they I mean looking on the football, who have no responsibilities at home. Uh, in the shape of useful work um, or family ties, do your bit and join Lord Kitchener's army. Um, and as the the book puts it, many did and many didn't return from from France. It's it's quite poignant when you look at these old posters, Neil, isn't it? There's a yeah, fate yep.
2: of the war. drives home, yeah, but the whole thing really. And I think everybody wanted to do their bit back then, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you're almost a social outcast if you didn't very true yeah almost hence the
1: white feathering and all that kind of nonsense that, uh, that that happened at that point um the press the london press particularly were vehement in their opposition to professional football continuing and there was even a bit of a a press battle between Millwall football club who um i think took the view rightly or wrongly um that the the playing of football was a a welcome distraction um for for the people um and, and servicemen at home and, then, you know, the, obviously by the the, uh, the late part of 1915, um, I, th- I think um, it was no longer viable to continue the professional game, Neil, was it? I mean, the casualty rate was mounting. Um, the battles were becoming ever more horrendous. The weapons were ever more modern. And I think many clubs just <clears throat> didn't have the, the players available to to take the field in, in the end. Hence the rise of the guest system that followed in 1915-16. In
2: Yes, well, yeah, we can understand why they did it. Yeah, but they were struggling to put teams together. Yeah, well, you're quite right. You know, people, uh, your players have been called up and they were just struggling.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the, the competition changed. There was, it was uh, Mill was still Southern League members at the outbreak of the First World War, the Football League and... Southern League at that point were roughly on a on a par, though I think probably the the Football League was the rising power in, in the game and the Southern League was on its um you know on it on its uh on, on in its final, final years. But Millwall was a Southern League member, um and, and out the Northern clubs mostly in the Football League. They were those competitions were suspended from 1915-16, and something called the London Combination was formed up, um, which was pretty much I, I imagine I would have done this in the Midlands and in the North and in the West, local competitions. It didn't involve an awful lot of travelling, you know, short distances and um, pretty much um, fre- friendly competitions in some, some ways, I suppose, when you look at those those times.
2: Yeah, but they split them, actually. They, yeah, they had a principal tournament that ran between September and January and then they had a supplementary tournament that ran from February to April. Right. And right. you played, yeah, we just played your local teams. You've yeah, in and around the London area, including the likes of Croydon Common that actually folded after the war.
1: There's a name, because they were a big club. Croydon Common were listed on all of the pre-First World War fixture lists for Millwall. Quite a big name in their time, weren't they? And then, as you say, they disappeared at the end of the of the conflict.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, well, Millwall beat them 6-3 in 1915, in the first... Uh, uh london combination when Yemen i think Millwall actually finish first or second
1: well wow. well wow. i mean I've, I've, a few notes i've taken here from the james murray book which is an immense body of work and if you haven't got it you probably won't find it other than on maybe ebay um it's out of print now but lines of the south is wonderful stuff in terms of the the de- detail for these times i mean I, i've just noted how the attendances were falling there obviously it's one thing to stage um, effectively it was amateur <clears throat> amateur football because the professional competition had been suspended but there was um, comparatively low attendance, people's lives were focused on increasingly on the war, the effort and, and the munition manufacture that was going to be required in this conflict it just didn't seem to be the time or place for football did it?
2: Yeah no, well I've just quickly had a look up here and I think in that first season our two biggest attendances were Actually, away from home against Arsenal and against West Ham, incredible. Yeah, you have a lot home. We were getting two, three, four thousand. Or
1: absolutely, absolutely.
2: And so as you quite rightly say, people were put off and they're focusing and their attentions were elsewhere.
1: Rightly so. Rightly so. I mean, the um, as you say, the, the the system was allowed because the clubs are effectively amateur now, um, so no wages were being paid to, to the players. Um, I imagine some form of, um, you know, uh, fees of some sort for travel or something of that kind, possibly. But um, they fitted it in with their army or at that time just their naval or army duties. Um, Flying Corps was part of the army at that point. Um, Though I did see that the players could share their gate receipts, which was an interesting thing. I I never realised that in the London combination that there would be um, some kind of um, divvying up of, <laughs> of gate receipts for players I suppose as a method of trying to keep them interested in in playing for the club at that point um, yeah
2: I guess that yeah well I guess that they were probably under the table payment and yeah. what else going on and the bigger clubs your arsenals and things like that they would have been paying quite good money I'd have thought
1: absolutely absolutely um, now the I don't have any any particular guests during the conflict, so you may be able to uh, to supply one or two yourself, Neil. My my one was was um, uh, Lieutenant Second Lieutenant Joe Dines, who was on the on the official war uh, memorial. Um, but he he was actually our player. He wasn't a guest, I believe. He, he he played for the Lions during the during the First World War, and then and unfortunately met his end at the towards the end of the conflict in nineteen
2: eighteen. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't. To the same level, I don't think, as we saw in World War Two. No. Uh, obviously, the likes of Bert Lipson came through at that time, and, and his brother, his brother John, actually played for Millwall. And, Did he? Uh, yeah. Yeah, played in the early part of the war, I believe.
1: Okay, I didn't know that. I've seen Bert Lipsum's name, or Lipsum, or Lipsum, but I didn't know he had a brother. I didn't know he played for, for the Lions. Um, I mean the interesting story I found in Lions of the South is actually just after the conflict, nineteen nineteen. The war ended in November nineteen eighteen, of course. Um and there was still some form of um this, this kind of guest system after the after the, the conflict that ended. And there was there's a player I've only got a surname, Wilding. I don't know if you've seen this story, Neil, but Wilding um scored for Mill versus Fulham. This would be in Early 1919, I guess. Um, and then he played He played against Chelsea the week after, despite the fact he was a Chelsea player. It was on their books. Uh, <laughs> Guesting for Millwall. Um, so he, he was a Chelsea player. He guested for Millwall against Fulham, then against Chelsea and scored. And he actually scored against his own club, which I'm sure would be a great um, pub quiz question. But um, he was known only as Wilding. So I don't know if that's his real name or pseudonym, possibly a pseudonym non-de-plume to um, escape uh, attention.
2: That's Harry story. Wilding. Harry How Wilding. Played for Tottenham as well. He was in the Grenadier Guards, I believe, at some stage.
1: I've got one other. I've got one other um, World War One story, um, which is a nice one, also from the Lions of the South, then we'll move on to World War Two.
2: II. Yeah, got
1: um, this is a mystery halfback who played for Mill versus QPR in 1919 again. So, in the in the in the very early post-war period, um, he was known only as Barry. This and this was a pseudonym, Barry, um, from a top club. In inverted commas, he was from a top club. he's known as Barry. Barry from a top club is inverted commas because no <laughs> one knows who Barry was. Um, this is in the pre-picture um, era, I guess. I so maybe the papers end in their photos of, of leading personalities, so no one knew who he was. He was a top player. He scored for Millwall against QPR, but his identity remains unknown. And the book doesn't enlighten us as to who Barry might have been. Um, Mystery halfback Barry. um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Only at Millwall could you play a ringer from (laughs) top club under the name of Barry. And no one
1: knew who he was. Um, oh. How can you get that situation? Anyway, scored. Barry scored. Um, so he's, he's our mystery goal scorer, according to uh, James Murray's wonderful uh, Lions of the South um, book. Um, so there we are. Thank you, Barry. Um, <laughs> Barry. You are listening to Achten,
2: Milwaukee. We'll move
1: along to the Second World War, which was slightly different to the first conflict in that, in the football sense, in that the war broke out in the September, so the football season had barely begun at that point. So it was just cancelled from the very off. There was no more of this <laughs> carrying on with the season. Very different kind of warfare was going to come in 1939. Um, football was suspended, but gradually, uh, Neil you got the a reversion to the again the amateur uh, approach london combinational versions of it um, with guest players increasing as the second world war progressed
2: yeah just as we actually yeah we just had, as we actually touched on i think yeah but I think initially it started as like a southwest regional league or a yeah south league division a
1: yeah
2: then it moved on to a regional league again where you I think actually the furthest we probably played was Northampton. Yeah, but it appears if they kept on changing it every year, because well then it kind of went to a London League and a Football League side. So in many respects, they were actually making it up as they went along. i
1: got a sense reading the um the James Murray book that there was some tension between the London clubs particularly and authorities, Football League authorities, as to the structure of the um, competition. I mean, obviously, air, air raids would be a factor. Um, you know, a couple of games were abandoned due to air, air raids, German air raids, um, in early 1940, 41 uh, And travel, travel was very difficult at this time. You know, it wasn't, you couldn't just jump on the train for no reason. You had to have a, a real and valid reason and, you know, be able to justify that reason for moving around the country. So away, away travel would be very difficult to, to get organised. And I think that was part of the tension between Millwall particularly and, and the Football League.
2: You mentioned air raids. There's a fantastic game. I think it was in December 1939. Little old Millwall pitch up down the valley. People <laughs> were winning 4-2 with one minute to go. Yep. The air raid sirens. <laughs> Starts falling from anti-air. On top of the crowd. The crowd flying for cover. And then when the all clear was eventually sounded, the final minute was played. Wow! They played the final minute. They played the final minute.
1: What stuff were they made out of in those times, Neil? I, I, you know, an air raid takes place. Bombers are falling from the sky. Death, and they still come back and finish the game. It, it was a different, different breed of people back then. I, I, I take my hat off to that whole. Well, both generations, first and second World War conflicts. They, they, they were made from different. Different material. I mean, that's a great story. air raid takes place. They come back and finish the match. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, there's a famous photo. You probably have seen it. It's in the lines of the south. The Den took a, a pounding um, in 1943. Yeah. Um, famous cra- crater impact on the um, uh, the halfway line meets the the Alderton Road and the dog trackers at that point. Um, huge, great cr- crater. And, and in a similar vein... Um, a match is taking place whilst people are standing on the rubble, aren't they? I mean, they're basically standing on the halfway line terracing with half of it missing due to this this huge landmine that dropped there.
2: Yeah, but I think that what had happened was it actually dropped uh, in between two games. I think yeah. amateur cup tie was due to be played after we'd played at home and uh, yeah, the Luftwaffe, they emptied out their bombs because obviously we were quite near the docks then, weren't we? We were, yeah and yeah. the one landed on waste ground and one landed slap bang in the middle of the ground
1: i believe that was the air raid which i think was in 1943 i'll stand to be corrected on it. i think it's 1943 that that took place and i believe that our manager then was bill voicey who was a, a millwall playing legend in his own right that's the right word yeah. um a mo- modern kind of word but i'll use it for, you know, on this occasion forgive me but he was also um a decorated highly decorated First World War hero in his own right, and he was injured in that in that um, bombing raid, and I think that was
2: largely responsible for him retiring from management at that point. Neil, yeah, funnily enough, when I was looking through the notes earlier on, he actually picked himself earlier in the war to play in a cup tie, and- <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I read that. Yeah, he played. I mean, it was it was at the age of forty something, and he was because we were shorter players, um, yeah, for the reasons reasons we've touched on. But Bill Bill Voicey, I mean, I I might do a show in his own right, because I think he's a name that we need to know at Millwall, because he actually held the Military Medal, um, the Belgian Croix de Guerre, and I think it's Distinguished Conduct Medal from the First World War. Um, And believe me, listeners, you don't get any of those for for nothing. You know, they're the highly, higher decorations, a very brave man, and...
2: Yeah, but especially not then.
1: Absolutely fought on the Western Front, um, decorated by the Belgians and by the British. Um, managed Millwall. I think he played for the Olympic in the Olympic team, the British Olympic team. Managed the club in the war, um, and was was injured in in this this um, you know uh, devastating air raid. It actually huge you know caused a huge amount of damage to the to the old den. It's a wonderful photo. I might, I might find it and post it out with this, this, this show because it's. I always, I always enjoy looking at that. So people standing on bits of rubble on the, <laughs>
2: you know, on the, on the, on the terrace. Um Imagine it now. They'd have like a twenty meters e- exclusion zone around it, wouldn't they? And,
1: nowadays, yeah, we'd you'd have to, you'd, well, you, the the place wouldn't open in the first place, would it? You know, but
2: yeah, you know, know. they would. Uh, call from
1: different stuff. Um, yeah. So what we thought we'd do, Neil and I, listeners, is run through a list of guest guest players. People, These would be, largely speaking, um, players from other clubs who played for Millwall um, and, on, on, and in the Lion's shirt, but they would have been other other teams' players, really. Um, but I'm going to kick off, if I may, Neil, and you, you've probably got a lot more than me, because I, I know that. I know how these shows work. I, I put up a few names, and Neil floods me with, um, you know, 15 in response. Um but I'm going to kick off with a famous Millwall player, J.R. Smith, um, Reggie Smith, yep. known as.
2: Went on to managers.
1: Yeah, played for Dundee. Um, this was in 1944, October 1944. He was a Millwall player who um, was stationed in the, I believe it was the RAF. I could be wrong on that, but he was in the Dundee area and played for Dundee versus Aberdeen in one of the Scottish local competitions uh in october nineteen forty four and that is reported by the Dundee courier J.R. Smith um quite a famous player pre-war I believe he was an England international I think there wasn't he J.R. Smith
2: yeah yeah no very very famous yeah Reggie Smith really around the time of the thirty uh, FA Cup semi final uh, yeah, Div- Division three South title winning side
1: absolutely absolutely and he guessed it for Dundee I don't know what the outcome of the game was, um, but I just found it interesting. There he was up there in Dundee, and uh, it turned out for the uh, for the Dark Blues, I believe they are, Dundee FC. Um, what ones have you got, Neil? You got, I've got one. You give, me, you give me two, and I'll give you one in return.
2: Right. So, players that have guested for Millwall. Yeah. Uh, Season early Wow. Seton Airly. Seton early no doubt. Right. Never no less. Played for Celtic. Cans, Worcester City, uh, guested for Derby, Nottingham Forest, uh, Chelsea, and Leicester. Nothing too, uh, nothing too memorable about that. But uh, was actually conscripted to the Honourable Artillery Company. That's okay. <laughs> and he was the future Prime Minister Ted Heath. Wow, I didn't know that. And when Seaton he Seaton talk- early. Yep, and when he's uh, and when he was living in the south of France, playing for Cannes, he had a certain little-known artist called Pablo Picasso as his neighbour.
1: Oh wow, that's that's great stuff. I like that. I like that. I mean, the mere fact he's living in Cannes, in the southern part of France, in its in itself, um, incredibly stylish. And to have Picasso as your neighbour is is, <laughs> is wonderful. I can't match that. All my stories now look very drab by the yes, side of, of- nearly <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to scrabble around to find my next most interesting name in, in return. I'm, I don't know if it's particularly interesting, but I went through um, the uh, the War Cup semi-final, um, which was Millwall versus Arsenal, played at Stamford Bridge. And I see that we had a Corporal Les Medley, who I think was a Spurs player. And I've got his Wikipedia um Wikipedia uh, thing here. So he was a, a Tottenham player, he was playing for the Mill War in the War Cup semi final, um, a schoolboy England uh, international as a schoolboy. Um, but he would go on to play after the war in the famous Tottenham Hotspur push and run side, uh, which won the first division in 1950 51. He won six England caps in his own right. And then, strangely, it might, it might not be strange to some, but in 1953, he left to join the Canadian. Soccer League, uh, National Canadian Soccer League. He played for a team called Toronto Ulster United, which I thought was fascinating. I've never heard of (laughs) Toronto Ulster United, but he played 164 games for Spurs, scored 46 goals. Les Medley, Millwall player in 1945, briefly in the War Cup.
0: You are
2: listening to Achten Millwall. Yeah, if you give me another one, I'll return fire.
1: Right, I'll um well I just love this bloke's name. I'm gonna cross out Medley on my list. Um Sergeant Sailor Brown, a Charlton athletic. I bet you've got him on your list name, you uh, you, you don't let names like Sailor Brown get past you. Um,
2: yeah, Robert Albert John Sailor Brown.
1: Yeah, Sailor was a nickname. Robert Albert John Brown, Sailor, known as also known as Albert Brown or Bert Brown. Um given the nickname Sailor by his teammates due to his rolling gait. Rolling Gates, G A I T, rolling Gates and muscularly stocky build. I think it's fat, fat. <laughs> it's probably the <laughs> word we're searching for, isn't it? <laughs> uh, wonderful career. Um, there's a picture of him on Wiki where, like every every player at that era, seemed to look like they were in their 60s, you know. There, there's Sailor Brown, born in 1915 in Great Yarmouth. Um, he's an inside forward. Um, he died at the age of ripe old age of 93. Quite recently, in 2008, he was a Chelton player and then post-war briefly for, well, for a season for Nottingham Forest and then Aston Villa. Um,
2: but
1: won- in 1946? Yes, yes, he would have won the FA Cup. Yeah, that's correct. Um, he was in the, uh, he was a sergeant in the Royal Air Force during the war and a member of the Greenwich Auxiliary Police. Um, and he was left the club, the, left football in 1956 to retire. And worked as a bookmaker and a timber merchant. There was no retiring on your money made in football back then, there was there. Is
2: absolutely not.
1: Work as a timber merchant on and, and, and do a bit of bookmaking, which I don't know if that was even legal then, but you did a bit of bookmaking at that point. But you're yeah. right, he won the FA Cup in 46.
2: You're yeah, um, for Villa and uh, Arsenal as well.
1: So there we are. Um Sailor Brown played in my my the I the the game I've identified, which was the semi final. Of the FA War Cup 1946. Um, there we are. Come on in, Neil. Give me one. Sam Bartram. Yeah, you got you You nicked my list.
2: Originally, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that's, that's, you,
1: that's my <laughs> that's my list. Hold under the water. That's a torpedo beneath the waves. <laughs>
2: <laughs> got gotcha. so, Got gotcha. you, gotcha.
1: coin a phrase, yes, as we are in early May.
2: Um, you, you, you go on about him and then I'll chip in.
1: All right, Sam Bartram, um, famous, famous um, character, I think, probably fair to say, for Charlton Athletic. 579 um, appearances for Charlton um, between 1934 and 1956, and keep in mind, listeners, that that would include six years of Second World War. Um he looks, I mean, there's a picture of him, he looks like a character, an old school footballing character, born in 1914 in Jarrow, up um, in the North East. Um, played for England in wartime internationals, but they were not, I think, treated as full internationals. Um, he played in golf for us in the War Cup final, I believe, Neil.
2: He did, and went on to become a very famous football writer with the Sunday People. Yes,
1: yes, he was a journalist, wasn't he? Yeah. After all, there's a great story on Wikipedia which I'm um, if, you, if you've got it, I'm stealing it off of you immediately. Neil, um, 1947, he was playing for I guess Chelten in the semi final of the FA Cup at Elland Road against Newcastle. So, Charlton v. Newcastle. Um, Bartram was suffering from food poisoning, um, but he played with a hot poultice on his stomach. I mean, uh, what difference is that going to make to you? It's on the outside of your stomach, you know. I can't see what if you've got the uh you got the backdoor trots you know i don't know what <laughs> time difference it's gonna make to have a poultice, wow.
2: poultice on
1: your stomach um such was the uh the medicine the medicine of the times i suppose yeah um he's a runner-up football of the year i see as well at the age of 40 in 1954
2: former wow, uh, coal miner
1: yeah coal miner Well, coming from the northeast of course these are I mean he looks like a rugged individual. I mean, just looking at the photo of him here, he's smiling at the camera, but he looks like a man that was no stranger to uh he could handle himself if, if the if the game got a little rough and tough, I I would think. Yeah. Um and then it was it was was he famously the was he the one who was still the fog came in. Um there's a game at the valley when it was abandoned through fog and he didn't realise the game had been abandoned, was still in goal, even though the players had yeah, left the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's still out there <laughs> and everyone else has gone indoors
2: <laughs> belief, doesn't it
1: um, I've got um, uh, e, e Gregory from West Ham is that is that Ted Gregory Ernie er, Ernie, Ernie, oh, Gregory. Ernie Gregory Ernie Gregory forgive me
2: Ernie Gregory the goalkeeper
1: and he was a West Ham player and he played um, he covered our goal in the final and um, West Ham uh, registered player 1938 to 59. 382 appearances. Er- Ernie Gregory
2: I think he actually served West Ham for about 50 years. Yes he did yeah all kinds of capacities um, A
1: tribute from former West Ham goalkeeper
2: Phil Parks
1: described him as a legend pure and simple. I don't think we'll ever see his like again. He was a one club man, a player, a coach, a manager. And he has to be the greatest servant that West Ham Football Club ever had. Um, Ernest Gregory, 1921. He, again, he lived to a ripe old age, Neil 90. He died in, in 2012, um, living in Basildon at that time. And he played for England B in 1952.
2: Yeah, um, lived in Harrow for many years, I believe.
1: Served with the Essex Regiment and the, and the Royal Air Force during the Second World War. So, uh, Ernie Gregory goalkeeper in the in the war cup final Shall i come back with another one for you and see what you've
2: you've won? gone you you run through yours because i probably gave them to you anyway <laughs> <laughs>
1: eric eric keen um eric Keane um there it is i've got him um played in the semi-final i believe eric Keane. um he was a a, a, a hereford united player before the war um, playing manager of Hereford. Um, the only thing I found of any particular interest of, with Eric King, and you might have more on it than me, Neil, but um, he managed Egypt, in the, which is a very strange move to manage Egypt in the post-war period. Um, and he, he took charge of the Egyptian national side at the 1948 summer Olympics. Um, and and it's, 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 it's odd because you, you get some footballers that travel and he went on to, I see here, he went on to manage Hong Kong, in 1948 and then in sweden and the, and the turkish club and some players do this don't they? they They make a career traveling the world managing football clubs you know um i remember um, stephen constantine at the den a few years he, he, he's kind of made a, le- a life managing in the far east and, and and the subcontinent and places like that all over the place you know
2: yeah well back then english football was king really wasn't it and our coaches were deemed to be the very best the game. and uh, so they were so consequently, they were in great demand. Absolutely, um, managed
1: Turkish clubside like Besiktas briefly in 1949 and 50. Eric King and this is going to be my last one. Um, George Marks, Arsenal, RAF, and England, and he, he got he obtained permission to play for Millwall in um, uh, South uh, playing at Southampton at the time, playing for Southampton. Um, and this was in 1943. Um, George Marks was a um, Arsenal player briefly. And then after the war, played for Blackburn Rovers. He re- 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 retired as a local government officer, which seems like a very mundane way to... Having been having been a local government officer in my time myself, that is the most mundane way to see out a footballing <laughs> career. <laughs> George, George Marks he played for Arsenal. He was in the... Um, uh, the a famous film called the Arsenal Stadium Mystery apparently it was, was featured in that which was shot at the at the Highbury Ground and um, as I say played for England in the war, war time um, and then after after the football he became a local government officer which seems like a, a drag way for it all to
2: finish up in my opinion um, very patient Matt he spent 10 years at Arsenal I think he only played about twice
1: he was a professional reserve I would think <laughs> for Arsenal. so that's me that, that, that's my that's my list you are listening to Achtung, Millwall. Did you have any, any hours that can top any of those, Neil?
2: Yeah, we might have one or two. That's go on it. in, go on in. <laughs> uh, this gentleman actually only died a few months ago, a guy called Ivor Broadus. I've heard that name, Ivor Broadus. He was an England international. Uh, he was born on the Isle of Dogs. Right. And he served in the RAF line, Wellingtons and Lancasters. And was actually pals with stars Charlie Wood and Len Tyler. That's a right. name you won't forget. Yeah. Podcast with his son. He was a player manager of Carlisle, uh, and interestingly, once yeah, but well he once transferred himself to Sunderland <laughs> when he was player manager of Carlisle. <laughs> came in for him, so he sold himself to Carl He uh, actually sold himself. <laughs> wonderful story isn't it <laughs> and
1: they say football was corrupt back in the old days
2: <laughs> yeah. played for the likes of Man City Newcastle went back to Carlisle played for Queen and the South managed Carlisle again I believe. and was actually a journalist for about 50 years and settled in the Carlisle area died yeah. uh, I think he actually died earlier this year well
1: okay I have a broadest
2: all oh, right, Pete. absolutely. Uh, the next one we've got is Vic Buckingham. I've
1: heard that yeah. name, Vic Buckingham. I've heard that name,
2: yeah. Very, very, very famous manager, coach. Uh, played for Millwall, I believe he had a couple of he played for Millwall a few times in the war 43, 44, and 44, 45. Right, but uh, came into his own as a manager where he actually coached Barcelona and Seville. Wow, and he wow. Two spells at Ajax, where he spotted a young Johan Cruyff. That's where I've heard the
1: name. That's where I've heard the name, yes. I've just got him on his Wikipedia page, up, as you said, and there it is, yeah. Johan Cruyff made his league debut under under him with AFC Ajax. That's yeah. incredible. There's a picture of him there as well, Victor Frederick Buckingham with a, a cigarette drooped nonchalantly from his, uh, from his lips. Uh, fedora and a fedora and a great kind of... 1950s style overcoat he looks like a proper um 50s character you know um and as you say what well, that's a, that's, a, that's a glittering career i mean he, he started with a an amateur scene called pegasus i see and that they, they were quite a big name as well weren't they in, in amateur football
2: yeah well, correct me if i'm wrong but i think they were actually a team made up of oxford and uh, oxford university players with cambridge university players
1: yeah something something like that and then as you say this this, this exotic um, foreign crew. I mean, he's, he's managed Bradford Park Avenue. Not so exotic. <laughs> West Bromwich Albion. Not so exotic. Ajax, yes, kind of. Sheffield Wednesday. Then Ajax, Fulham. F- Ethnikos, Piraeus, a Greek side. Barcelona. FC Barcelona. That's that's wonderful. Sevilla, Olympiakos, and then finally a team called Rhodos, um, which is a Greek side in the, in the Aegean. Um, born in Chichester. Um, it looks like he's, uh, oh he passed away in, in 1995, excuse me, I thought he was still alive, he's age 79, he passed away in, 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 uh, in the he mid-90s.
2: He was still alive.
1: Yeah, it would have been a bit of a feat, wouldn't it? That would be the, the, the um, you know, the, the benefits of travel, um, but it was a runner-up with West Brom, with the um, managerial, he took them to a runners-up position in the first division, um, won the FA Cup with West Brom in 1954.
2: Uh, Wally Boys is another one who, uh, an England right. outside left, who scored West Brom's equalising goal in 1935
0: FA Cup final. Right.
2: Won the Football League Championship with Everton four years later, and was a physical training instructor at Oldershot so obviously was within easy distance of London. Right. Alongside Matt Busby, Tommy Lawton, and Bert Sproxton, who were. Some names there, yeah, some names. You are listening to achten Milwaukee. Ron Burgess was a Tottenham Pop Spurs legend. I think it's quite safe to say. Played for Spurs for years, I believe you'll you you're Yeah. On. Tottenham nineteen thirty eight
1: to fifty four, two hundred and ninety seven appearances, and again say the same things we said with Um, Sam Bartram, that would include the Second World War. So
2: um,
1: just short of 300 appearances, 14 goals. He then went on to Swansea, Swansea Town, as they were known then.
0: Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow's Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to sixty percent off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at borough.com slash acast. That's borough.com slash acast. Borough.com slash acast.
1: He managed um I think played for the played for the Welsh Welsh national team, so I have he managed them. They played for the Welsh national team 32 times. And then went on to manage Swansea, Watford. And then non-league the Hendon and Harrow, as you say, a quite a, a big a big name in Spurs terms.
2: Yeah, that's right. And uh, actually, I think he was trainer at uh, Fulham under his mate Vic Buckingham.
1: Yes, indeed. He went. He actually won the the league championship with Spurs in 1951, which would be that that push and run side. There's a famous, um, uh, was it Arthur Rowe, um, Arthur the and general manager of Millwall? Did he?
2: Yeah. I didn't
1: know that. Didn't it's know awful. that. Oh, yeah. He think- developed um, a, a fast-moving movement-based style called push and run, which was quite um, radical in its time. The Spurs won the Championship League Championship in the 50-51 season, um, and Burgess was a was a a, 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 um, a major component of that team. He also captained the Welsh national team, um, thirty-two caps for Wales, and played for the Great Britain versus rest of Europe side in nineteen
2: forty-seven. Yeah, but he'd obviously lost his way one day and found his way to the den to play for us.
1: The, the best decision he ever made. And his brother, Clive Burgess, was a Welsh International Rugby Union player, according to Wiki. So that's um, Ronnie Burgess, Ron Burgess, Ronnie Burgess. Good choice.
2: You are listening to Achten Millwall. Right. Uh, then we've got uh, we've got a guy called Horace Burrows, who was an England international. Horace Burrows. Burrows.
1: Listeners will be really impressed with the professionalism of our shows. I'm, you've actually got the sounds of me desperately trying to search Wikipedia as Neil speaks so that we sound in sync and on point. There we are. Horace Burroughs, I found him. Sheffield Wednesday play, Neil, 233 times.
2: That's right.
1: Um, and then England, uh, three caps for the English. National side. Yeah. He um, played for Mill during the wartime. 41-42, um,
2: I believe, and uh, was actually called up by the sh- by the Sherwood Foresters. Yes, he was. And was actually shot in the arm at the Battle of El Alamein. Wow. Wow. Then after leaving the game, he ran the sports shop, and his son actually played for Plymouth Argyle, Adrian Burrows. Oh, okay. Okay. A little
1: bit of a local connection for... For you there um as you say yeah he ran a, a sports shop in in sutton in ashfield um there we are horace Burroughs.
2: yep the next one is malcolm butler is a very interesting character okay who was an ireland international played for belfast celtic Bangor, blackpool and accrington stanley right irish international fullback who served as a flight lieutenant navigator in the RAF and was shot down in Yugoslavia wow. was rescued from a from a prisoner of war camp by a local partisan resistance right. the Nazis wanted to use him in propaganda <laughs> well I suppose
1: being I mean he's Irish born in Belfast um, yeah. but um, the, the Irish were neutral, officially neutral in in the Second World War, but um, the the Germans were always trying to press on the Irish question as a means of trying to get um, almost like a second front going on the on, on the on you know the kind of um, on the, to the rear of Great Britain. So I suppose propaganda could have been useful in in trying to stir up a bit of yeah. activity in Ireland at that time.
2: Yeah, that's right. So so under orders they went and they nipped him back through.
1: <laughs> Wonderful stuff.
2: Wonderful stuff. Malcolm is oh, actually an author, and I think it was actually his son that told me the story. That's a fantastic
1: story. Um Belfast Celtic was—I um, mean, that, that, just noting that name. Obviously, that's separate to the Glasgow Celtic, but they were a, a team cool. that was—they um, played in the same colours. I've just typed onto their onto their website. So they, they, they folded in nineteen or dissolved in nineteen forty-nine, I suppose, as the. Um, as maybe as the situation in Northern Ireland starting to get towards its um, you know later years, maybe it's it just difficult for them to play there. But um, Malcolm Butler, born in 1913 in Belfast, Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. um, died 1987, age 75. That's quite a life, really, Neil, isn't it? When
2: you when yeah. you look at it, like players having lives now, There's absolutely nothing compared with what some of these guys went through.
1: No, uh, it isn't, is it? You well, know, I mean, I know you can only have
2: a boring, you can only, stories and you can only do podcasts with him.
1: Well, you can only live in the times that you're born in, so that's that's all you've ever got. But it does make it does put things in perspective a little bit to be shot down over Yugoslavia, captured by local partisan groups, and then you know a, a tug of war with um, <laughs> the Germans and the, uh, and the and the British to get you back. It's um, it, would, it would build build character. I think that's probably the best way I can put that.
2: <laughs> well, that would a podcast, that wouldn't. <laughs>
1: thought we could have got him on, but there we are. I think you see one of the reasons I like to do these shows, listeners, and I, it's great to get Neil on here, is because I just think that these are stories and names that need to be spoken. Because hopefully, this is how you, this is how their, their names continue on. I mean, I know it's only a podcast, and I get it; it's only a sports small show, but. It, I just think it's important that we that we tell these stories so that others can hear them, and that hopefully gets passed on further down the line. That's that's my um that's my motive behind a lot of these these kinds of shows. So. Malcolm, Malcolm Butler.
2: Yeah, but that's all that matters. And somebody, yeah, you know, as you say, takes away a little bit of what's a little happened bit of history. Yeah, a little bit of history. Absolutely. You're shining, you're in lockdown, so why not learn a little bit of history?
1: And he actually played. Just going back to Malcolm Butler, there's one one little line here. He played for Ireland in their 3-1 defeat to Wales in 1939, March, which was the country's last match before the Second World War broke out. Um, the, the Irish national team was always a confusing thing back then because you had Ireland was was what we would call Northern Ireland now. It was also the Republic of Ireland, um, which would be the Irish Free State, I think, to get, it, get right. my, my terminology correct. So I'm sure if, if any Irish listeners are being offended by anything i've said i apologize if my name name naming regime is wrong but i think it was um the irish free state or era um ireland many many names many different formats of ireland but um and i think irish players could play for either version of ireland you know you could choose to play for the the north or the south depending on your allegiances or um personal personal choice so to speak
2: yeah it's all whatever yeah there we are
1: so he played in the last Irish game, whether that's the north or south, I, I don't know. But that was the last the last Irish match before World War II broke out. Malcolm Butler.
2: You are listening to Achton oh, Milwaukee. Guy with an interesting name. Jumbo Jack Chisholm, J- Jumbo, <laughs> Jumbo Jack <Chisholm.
1: laughs> I'm I'm typing this into Wikipedia as 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 Neil speaks. J- there it is, Jumbo Jack.
2: Yeah, very interesting character. Useful. Yeah, he was actually a useful cricketer and could have actually featured on our cricketers podcast. He actually played once for Middlesex in 1947.
1: There he is, Jack Richardson Chisholm, born in Edmonton, um 1924, uh, passed away in 1977. Age 52, quite quite young, really. Centre half, and he played he played 1946-47 for Spurs. Yep. Um, King cricketer, yeah, you're right. Both Middlesex, 1947, alongside Compton and, and Edrich, Bill Edrich.
2: Yeah, he was actually, yeah, he was actually a player that Millwall tried to sign, I believe, from Sheffield United. Right. And uh, the deal fell through because I don't think we were. Offer them enough money. We'd probably offer them a couple of huge houses.
1: Um, Some things never change, do they? Something never changed. There is, yeah, Irish Guard in the Second World War. He's a member of the, the Irish Guards, um, and signed for Spurs in 1947. Then Brentford, as you say, and finished up at Plymouth in 1949 to 54. It was, it, it, as it says here? His, his, ability to inspire is more. Uh, of Argyle is more talented Argyle teammates' interaction and his defensive ability made him an integral part of the team. Um, and the, the Pilgrims were uh, the crown champions, Team 40, 49, I think that is. It's not written terribly clearly. Um, I, I love this line though, Neil, um, he's talking about Jumbo Jack, his lifestyle wasn't ideal for a professional athlete. There's that's, that's a lot in that sentence, isn't there? <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I can fill in a little bit more. Yeah. Believe it or not, please do. Because
1: it says he enjoyed having a pre-match drink at the nearby Britannia Inn. I take it the Britannia near to, uh, to Home Park. Uh,
2: yes, it is. Yeah. Isn't um, it? and so
1: and, and there's that's a, that's a sentence I love. His lifestyle wasn't ideal for a professional athlete. <laughs>
2: enjoyed uh, the fairer sex, shall we say? <laughs> uh, eating, uh, yeah, we did a, a five or six part series on his life in the people in the mid-60s. Right. Uh, where he actually admitted to match-fixing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, we are quite open about how people would give him a brown envelope and have about <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Such practices and how uh, and he... And how he used to uh, meet up with the director, yeah, with the doors for one of Plymouth's directors on a regular basis. <laughs> <office and, laughs> you know, Wonderful
1: just, character,
2: just yeah, a character and a half, absolute character and a half. And uh, and yeah, well, all the time he wouldn't actually move his family from London down. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. I
1: wonder why. <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking at his photo. I mean, there's a photo on Wikipedia. He's. he's uh, sometimes you can look at a face, even though this is a taken in the 1950s, I guess, and you can see um, what's the word. I'm sorry, it's like a roguish charm to the bloke. You can, you wouldn't want to mess around with him. You can see that he's. Um, you can see how he, he'd, he'd have a wa- way with the ladies, um, and you, you could probably find yourself liking him, even though he probably, you know, <laughs> caused mayhem in your own life. But you could, you could, you couldn't help but like him.
2: Yeah, and and went on to actually manage Romford. Yeah, but he actually admitted to match fixing when he was managing. <laughs> they, didn't actually, yeah, but they didn't ban him, which is even more amazing.
1: I mean, again, it says it left a mark on, on everyone involved at in the club, and I think that's meant both roguishly and and, and, <laughs> and um sentimentally i think probably the best way i can put it he left the mark on everyone involved with the club plymouth and is remembered to this day in his honor the club named the hospitality uh, suite at home park after him called the chisholm chisholm lounge um he died in leighton in 1977 so what a character is it is they've got him listed on the website the plymouth Argyle hall of fame um, won the Football League third championship in 1951 52. That was with Plymouth, Plymouth Argyle. Um, what a character. Jumbo Jack Chisholm. That's a wonderful, wonderful story, Neil.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, well, I can't really <laughs> tell you that one was the next one. It's George
1: Eastham. George Easton. Oh, what is the name. George Eastham is a name, but maybe not quite so flamboyant as. Um...
2: Yeah, this is George Eastham Senior. Senior. Okay. His son was, of course, uh, George Eastham, who played for Arsenal in England. Yes, he did. And yeah, he was responsible for the freedom of movements for footballers.
1: Yeah, he's one of the kind of contractual rebels, wasn't he? Um, yes. Was that G- was that Jimmy Hill who led that as well? Was that was the wage
2: wage cap? Yeah, well, I believe he was chairman of the union and right. Whoever else.
1: Um, so George Eastham Senior, who was the Millwall war guest. Father of George Easton Jr. Um, England, for,
2: inside forward.
1: Yes, he was. Um, born in South Africa, interesting. Oh, no, he died in South Africa, sorry, excuse me. Born in Blackpool. Um, died in South Africa, aged 85 in 2000. Um, it, it, you know, again, just to illustrate the whole point of the show is that um, players will play for various teams wherever their service took them. I mean, a George Easton Sr., although a Blackpool player, played for Birmingham, Bolton, Brentford, York, mansfield Millwall, and qpr that's you know it's um it's quite a variety when you when you look at it really isn't it over the course of the, of the six years
2: yeah for, yeah well wherever you were posted you could virtually get a game couldn't you pretty much
1: yeah i suppose you just turned up with your boots and said i'll, I'll play you know um and he also managed he managed in northern ireland Ards in northern ireland at accrington distillery and hellenic which i think is is um a south king african king. south africans yeah um greek siding south africa george easton senior wonderful stuff father of george easton jr
2: probably more famous of the two then we'll go on to willie fagan willie fagan who won he won the league with Liverpool in 1947.
1: Fagan, there he is. Um, yes, there he is. In
2: 1937, I believe in 1950. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. He's. Uh, he was a Celtic player.
1: Um, then he moved to Preston. Liverpool, 1937 to 52. So again, that as we keep saying, that would include the the yep. Second World War period. Um, then briefly, Distillery in Northern Ireland finished his career playing for Weymouth. He was an unofficial unofficial Scottish international in 1945. I guess in those war uh, victory internationals that they they um they had um after after hanging up his boots, nearly became a ball officer. That's a grim grim
2: old professional, isn't it? Well, <laughs> but, yeah, well, yeah, Well, first of all in Portland, and then I believe he moved to Wellington. <laughs> uh,
1: um so yeah it became a ball stall, which was like a like a like a an approved school I don't, I don't know if they have it's like a youth offenders kind of um yeah. pre- i think the ball schools as they were was faded out faded out and faded away um but it was, it, when he was at um, preston it's he uh, it was linked with um franco Celt- Hugh O'Donnell, celtic was and future manager of great bill shankley um but in the same team uh, Preston, um, and as you say, it went on to, on to Liverpool
2: um, post war. You are listening to Achten Milwaukee. The next one on my list is actually Hung Ying Su. Oh. He, he, he was better known as Frank Su.
1: <laughs> Frank Su. <laughs> that's easier. S double O, I guess.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
1: There it is. Frank Su. Um, yes, he's a. That's an interesting character, a, a, a mixed-race Chinese and English uh, English professional footballer, born in Buxton in
2: 1914. That's right. Wow. Uh, wow. Apparently the first player of Chinese origin in the Football League. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chinese sailor, and was actually the first non-white player to represent England when he won nine wartime caps. A wow,
1: inside left, he played half-back, was like a, a a midfielder midfielder left a, a kind of position, I guess, inside left, half-back. Um, Frank Sue started his career with um, Prescott Cables in non-league, so in Stoke City, um, and that would be through the wartime period, 1945, he then moved to Leicester and Luton Town, uh, and played, as you say, nil for the England national side war team during 1942-45 um and some managerial um credentials as well um managed in 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 scandinavia um and norway sweden
2: 52 olympics
1: yes he did um coached norway at the 52 olympics what an interesting character you he sometimes um, think there's a whole show to be done on these individuals i mean as you say his, his, his birth name is um i can't even pronounce or or kwang Oh, it was pronounced R. Su, but he was known as Frank for obvious um, English-speaking reasons, thankfully. Um, He was an air gunner in the... um, No, that was his brother, Ronald, was killed uh, in service as an air gunner in in 168-166 Squadron in the RAF. Um, And he married a hairdressing salon proprietor, Beryl Frieda lunch in stoke-on-trent in 1930 and a couple honeymooned in bournemouth none of your none of your um caribbean um no no um frida was this is interesting um i mean Frank is interesting in his own right but um she was she was a keen autograph hunter so she introduced herself to sue simply to ask for his his signature um and they met they married
2: it's not bad that is it yeah yeah. There's, yeah there's one or two footballers now that probably do but <laughs>
1: um, but sue was quick and intelligent and noted through his ability to deliver perfectly placed passes stan mortensen um wrote that uh in his, his book his autobiography that sue was one of the best four wing halves he ever played with um and he, he as it, to quote him he seemed incapable of a clumsy movement so that's quite a what a nice um footballing um you know tribute i think they had, he, he managed to, in in scandinavia post war frank sue
2: right my next one is george ernest wilkins uh father of ray wilkins oh oh yes serious
1: yeah ernest george wilkins um was a professional football and had four footballing sons including ray yep. George was born in hackney worked as a lorry boy played for Hayes and then signed pro for, for Brentford in 1938. Um, he played for Brentford during the war, um, including a, a War Cup final, uh, and for the Lions at some point during the course of the war too. In that case, nil as a, as a guest.
2: 3940, I believe.
1: Served in the Royal Kent Regiment, um, and then continued with Brentford after the war, but moved to, to Bradford Park Avenue. There's a there's a team that no longer exists, famous old site, Bradford Park Avenue. Then moved to Forest, Nottingham Forest, and Leeds. um And he had three sons: uh, Graham, Wilkins, Ray, and Dean. I think both Graham and Dean were both professional footballers as well. Neil, weren't they? For yeah, they were. Chelsea and QPR. Am I right?
2: Played for Chelsea, I believe. I've...
1: Winner of the London War Cup, 42 with Brentford, and a guest for the, for the Lions early on in the in the Second World War. Um... You are listening to Achten Millwall
2: very famous name ron greenwood ron
1: greenwood wow west ham legend i think
2: yeah uh, i think
1: probably rightly so um west uh,
2: england manager
1: england manager um 1982 world cup i think he managed england didn't he that's
2: right
1: Ron, ron greenwood um played as his playing career he, he's, he's, he's playing i suppose he must have played as in the in the wars uh, guesting um his professional career Bradford Park Avenue, there's that name again in 1945, then Brentford, Chelsea and Fulham,
2: Fulham.
1: Um, and then obviously as a manager quite a long period, I mean you don't get management of this, I suppose Arsene Wenger's the nearest you get in terms of longevity but he's 1961 to 74, manager of West Ham at England briefly in 77 to 82, well not briefly but five years in 77 to 82 I remember the, the 82 World Cup where was England, that was the first time we qualified for since the 1970 tournament wasn't it? we went to Spain
2: Spain, wasn't it yeah and I think didn't Paul Mariner or somebody score after about 20 seconds of a game and that's right
1: and we we got to the the, the strange tournament so we got to the semi-final stage which is like a group system um and I think we came quite close but not quite good enough to get through to the to the final that 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 in that tournament but um I'd say he's one of the more, apart from Alf Ramsey, obviously one of the more successful England managers in many ways because he he took us as contenders into a, the final stages of, of, the, of the major competition.
2: Yeah, but didn't we have a bulldog as a mascot or something? Oh, <clears throat> British, British, British bulldog. Yeah, we had the um... my favourite England kit, the white top with the well, with the red and. Uh, That's bl- right shoulders and, and... The Admiral
1: the admiral top It's like a stripe across the shoulders type of look, wasn't it? Right. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, we, we, we are not here to... We're, we're to the damn West Ham, not to praise them, but Ron Greenwood, guest player from Millwall, did in, um, instigate the development of the uh, World Cup winning trio, Bobby Moore, first Hurst and Martin Peters, as well as winning the FA Cup a couple of times. Um, oh, once, yeah. sorry. European Cup Winners Cup.
2: sorry. In 65. Let them forget the fact they won the World Cup in 19 Apparently,
1: <laughs> <laughs> they 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 had a part in it. There were other players in that team too. I recall. <laughs> Notably, not the Cholton brothers who may may have had more of an influence. But there are. Yeah. Um, and there we are. Ron Green is uh, in, in inducted into the English Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame, in 2006. Um, and probably rightly so, I think in, in all fairness, I know that there's, there'll be people enraged by these words on a Millwall show, but there we are, we have to <laughs> speak fairly. Yeah, we'll
2: in, history, history, uh, history's different.
1: It, isn't history is neutral, isn't it? History is neutral. Right. Um, he won a he won a First Division Winners Medal as a player under uh, for Chelsea under Ted Drake, 1954-55.
2: Yeah, the which, Drake Bucklings, I believe they were called.
1: Yeah. Um, Ron Greenwood, there we are. And he died in 2006, aged
2: 84. Yep. Decent story behind our next one. That's Charlie Livesley. I'm, I'm not sure he had a great playing career. His father played for. His father, Joe, played for uh, Sheffield United, Arsenal, in England. He had brothers that played the game. His cousin played the game. He served as. A squadron leader in the RAF. Wow. Okay. Played for he, he himself. He played for Doncaster, Manchester United, uh, Chesterfield, Torquay, and Crystal Palace. Guested for Millwall, York, and Stockport. Before going on to a coaching career in Holland and Spain, and then he moved to Torino. Torino. Wow. And, okay. he was, and he was actually killed in the Supergar uh, air disaster in May 1949, 837.
1: Wow. Charlie Livesey. I can't find anything on him at the moment. I'm not I'm, having produced anything on him, but that's, Le- that's quite a story. Yeah, Leslie Livesey, sorry. Leslie Livesey. That's probably why I'm looking for Charles Livesey.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm distracted by something out the window. <laughs>
1: There see there he is. Super guy, that's right. Place of death, super guy, which was a famous. Um, right. The whole Torino right. right. ter- side died um, pretty much in that um, in that air, air crash, didn't they? Um, that's a, that's an interesting story. He's a parachute trainer in the RAF and a dispatch officer, managed in the in in Holland at Heracles, and then moved on to Italy, right. and coached the Italian national team at the 1948 Summer Olympics. So R.I.P. Leslie Le- Leavesley, Le- Leavesley. It's an unusual spelling. Nineteen eleven um, to
2: nineteen forty nine. Finally, probably yep. the biggest name I think that played for Millwall in World War Two was Tommy Lawton. Tommy Lawton plays for us. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, well, the, Tommy uh, Tommy Lawton's biography. <laughs> Believe it or not, the family wow. biography. They listed all of his clubs and <clears throat> he left off Millwall. <laughs> Nothing changes, Neil. Nothing changes, man. <laughs> yeah, but just the sheer embarrassment I guess, of, of 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 a couple of times he needed a game and probably based in older shots. And uh...
1: there we were, yeah, there we were. Uh, Tommy Long won the great names of English football. I think it's fair to say, Neil. Um,
2: great name, know. English football.
1: Yeah, um, four hundred and twenty league appearances, including the Second World War period. We keep saying he was playing pre-war for Burnley and Everton, and then post-war Chelsea. Notts County, 151 appearances for Notts County, Brentford Arsenal, um, and Kettering in, in the late 50s. Um, English International. I mean, again, the, his England career is probably blighted by the fact that the war got in the way of 1938 to 48. made 23, uh, got 23 caps, 22 goals. That's quite a scoring record, isn't it? Um, yeah, actually
2: one of the most lethal goal scorers this country's ever produced. I think he scored... About 260 goals in in about 430 appearances, which is unbelievable strike rate.
1: And it's, uh, Wikipedia: Tommy Lawton was regarded as widely regarded as the finest centre forward of his generation. He boasted a strong physique, good ball control, um, as well as a great passing range and a powerful shot. Um, he considered himself a two-footed player, although he's naturally right-footed. Um, his greatest strength was his ability to head the ball. Um, as his muscular legs gave himself a strong jump and long hang time, um, Stanley Matthews no less surmised that quite simply, Tommy was the greatest header of the ball I ever saw, and he was never booked throughout his career. Um, so strong, good ball control, great passing range, powerful shot, never booked. No wonder he never made it at Millwall nil. Not, not <laughs> our kind of player at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, imagine the first missed header. <laughs> <laughs> <only show> up, <laughs> we
1: like him a lot less talented and a lot more vicious in temper than it sounds tommy lawton was. <laughs> Yeah, but that,
2: that was a highlight of his career was the few games that he actually played for us i'm i'm sure he'd tell you
1: absolutely and um i mean again just to, you know just to close us off from a little insight into the different era of football back then, after his playing career, given this was one of the finest players the country's ever produced, ever produced, in my opinion. He ran a pub. He ran the Magna Carta public house in in Loudon, which I think might be up north somewhere.
2: In Nottingham.
1: Um, Nottingham. um, And was in the pub trade for four
2: years. Um, Wrote uh, for the Nottingham Evening Post and actually, I believe, died skint. Yeah, certainly for the latter part, of his life was on his downers.
1: Incredible. I mean, it mentions the period on on unemployment benefit. This would be in the uh, 1960s, you know, legend of the game on unemployment. I know, you know, not all of them, not all of them finished up in that in that particular dire strait. But um, it's just strange, isn't it? Um, Did a bit of um, a little bit of uh, um, criminal problems as well, I think money related um, in the 70s Uh, and he died in 1996. His ashes are donated to the National Football Museum. I don't know. They must have spread them, so I don't know what you do with his ashes, but still, there we are.
2: You leave your yeah, you we leave your ashes to a museum so people can go and gawk all over them. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, should I?
1: It's, it sounds like a dramatic thing to do, but I mean I don't know what I'd do if I was a museum. What are you gonna do with the ashes? You've got to bury them, you can't leave them up for you know people to look at. He starred in a film, Neil, um, called The Great Game, alongside Thora Heard. And Diana Dawes in 1953. And Diana Dawes, for younger listeners was Britain's answer to Marilyn Monroe. Yes, wow.
0: um,
1: and so he was. he was also on TV later. He was What's my line? And published a few books, uh, Soccer the Lawton Way, um, and all his all star football books. So quite a character. I think probably that's the best way to say Tommy Lawton was some character. Um, Legend of the
2: game. Yeah, top top uh, first division
1: top scorer 1937, 38, 38, 39. And then third division, South top scorer in post-war 1949 to 50. And he's in the Hall of Fame, rightly so, I think, uh, England international, Tommy Lawton. Neil, that is wonderful stuff. That's a great one to finish off on, actually, because he's a major, major name of the game. Um, fascinating list of names, different careers, different um, different storylines all brought together Millwall through the the, the wartime it's quite um it, it's quite something that the war could produce this kind of tumult and and, and the range of characters that have played for us over those, those years
2: yeah no it's quite poignant really isn't it that yeah that little old Millwall have pulled together all of these people and 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 yeah we're quite really that most of them have been forgotten
1: well, f- hopefully we've done something to mark their contribution. And I think that's that's really what I wanted to achieve, as, we, as I've said already. So um, that is wonderful stuff. Neil Fistler, I really, really appreciate that. There's some great names in there. And I'm going to get you back again. You know I'm going to get you back on the show again at some point, because I just love this kind of stuff. So
2: yeah, no, Well, I love talking about this kind of stuff. It, yeah, but it just breaks the monotony and everything else of everything going on at the minute. That you can just escape and you can escape into mill times, time's
1: past. Absolutely, absolutely wonderful stuff. Big thank you, Neil Fizzler. Thank you for the for that. And um, stay tuned, listeners, for more podcasts of this ilk. All the best. Arriva Dirty Millwall. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast. So we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtongmilwall at gmail.com, all one word, achtongmilwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232. Leave us a voicemail. No human will be involved in the receipt of your message. So give us a shout. Tell us what you think about All Things Millwall. And the best messages will be read out on air.
0: Mehlball